Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Prepare for a soccer coaching revolution. Come with me on a journey to discover the latest methods, techniques, and tactics that will transform you into a more effective coach, player, or soccer parent. Whether you're a seasoned coach or a beginner, growth never stops. I'm Sega Brabinovich, and this is Soccer Coaching Mastermind. Well, this week we have a lot to talk about. I'll talk about a little bit about the EPL, and then I'll also talk about uh, the games that we had this weekend. And then I want to share with you a new game that we're using with our youngest players to introduce passing and receiving. Uh, So I'm excited about that. Uh, But let's get into it. So this weekend was the Spurs and City game. And what a game back and forth it was. Uh, It looking at kind of Pep's career, one of the things that he really focused on after his time in Germany was the ability to take away the counterattack. And in this game specifically, Spurs really took advantage of the counter. Uh, And it was really interesting to see how they were able to do that. And then on top of that, the way that, and what I've been seeing from City uh, for a while now, is their pressing game is just next level. They seem to be pressing with at least three players every single time when the other team is trying to play out of the back. And it's really allowing me to kind of think about our pressing game. And is it more beneficial to press with more players against teams who try and play out of the back? And then with teams that don't play out of the back to kind of just press with less players. So the problem with that is that with the youth age groups, And pretty much any kind of recreational or even competitive program, it's very tough to know your opponent, right? So uh, it's kind of a plan that you could have in the middle of the game to see, okay, these guys are playing out of the back. Let's press with more and then talk about, okay, how do we do that as a team, right? And you can talk about that before the game. You can talk about that uh, a little bit in practice, those types of things. But I would usually say, you know, in the game right before when we're having our team talk, which is probably what I'll do this weekend, is we'll have a little bit of a conversation. Okay, let's keep everything the same. But here's our plan in case uh, the team really starts to build out of the back. And if they start to build out of the back, let's put them under pressure. Okay, because when it's three against one, then we're just giving teams time And that's something that we don't want. The more time a team has, the more control they have, right? Because time equals space. And for me, the the team that manipulates space the best is the one that usually wins. That's why in a counterattack like we saw uh, with this weekend City Spurs game, 
Spurs did so well because on the counterattack, the countering team has a better space, right? They have more space. They're utilizing the space better and they have an advantage, right? So within those two things, then it just makes it better for the opponent, which is not something that we want. So it's something that I'll start to look at the press. How do we maybe even go man to man on defense with those teams that are playing out of the back? And if they're playing out of the back, they don't usually go long that often. And because of that, if they're not going long that often, that long ball uh, into the 1v1s, which is what it would be, especially if you're playing a 2-3-1, and then you're going man-to-man on that, it would usually mean that you're one-on-one in the back, right? So with their forward and your defender. So uh, those are things that you have to consider. But if they're playing out of the back, then there's less of a chance that they're going to play that long ball and exploit that 1v1 situation. But those teams that don't play out of the back and just kind of kick it long for the sake of it, those are teams that you shouldn't be pressing because you have that advantage in the back when that ball goes long. Since we've started our kind of small group type training environment, I've really noticed in the past couple of weeks that we're getting better and better. And this weekend was no different. Our teams drastically improved from last week we saw um for the first time we had three teams come out with a win uh in the weekend we were struggling winning games we were struggling to score and we were just kind of struggling in general but this past weekend was the first time that three of the six teams uh won the game and then four out of six uh had more possession than the other team. So we're really starting to see, and it's showing in the tactics, sorry, in the in the stats that we're taking from VO that we're moving in a positive direction. We're also starting to see the strings of passes, right? How many passes we can connect without the opponent getting it. We're also starting to see those numbers go up to the point where one of our teams had actually 23 uh, consecutive three between three to five passes. So we made three to five passes without the opponent getting the ball at 23 times. So uh, it's getting better and better. And it's just something that we're going to continue to work on. And we've kind of developed this groove of, for the first 20 minutes, getting into repetition of passing, receiving. uh, And also in that environment, we've started to teach the ability to kind of when to get open uh, as that ball's moving. On top of that, we're working a little bit on 1v1 defending, the proper way to defend 1v1. So we're able to do that in this kind of triangle uh, passing, right? So uh, it's literally a triangle. We have the blaze pod in the back, and the blaze pod is just lights that I want players turning and scanning. So I don't want them getting into the habit of just passing and not scanning. So for us, that's really important. So we've been doing this now for two weeks and we're just starting to see things get better and better. And then the last part of the session is usually a big Rondo type game. So it's either a 3v3 plus three, 4v4 plus four, those types of games. And now we've implemented a way that we're playing 3v3 plus 3. And so that at the end, 
uh, of this. So we, so we're making a box essentially, and then once we get the ball to the forward, then we can all go into the final third, and then there are rules within the final third because the final third is where you should be playing quick, right? So one touch, two touch, or you should be playing a deceptive dribbling move on the wing, and then across on the ground uh, for the goal. So we're putting in things like scoring with one touch, those types of things, but really just kind of coaching within that environment. And the coaches that I have with me, what I don't want them doing is planning sessions. I want them in there really focusing on the player's technique. And that's really what I love about the way that we've been coaching forever, right? So whether it was our 1v1s or our 2v2s, the coaches didn't really have to think about, okay, what is the plan for today? What I want is the coaches coming in and I want them focusing on, okay, how do we pass? How do we receive? Okay. How do we do our 1v1 defending? I want the technique part to be something that the coaches are focusing on teaching. And then I take kind of the macro approach of I come in with the plan session and then the coaches come in and within every single group, they can walk in and say, okay, uh, this player struggling with their passing. Uh, maybe it's the part of the ball they're hitting. Maybe it's the part of the foot they're using. Maybe it's the pace of the play, uh, pace of the pass, sorry, that they're using. And those are really the things that the coaches who are walking around are doing. So I want to talk about two different games today. One was inspired by a question uh, from Coaching Soccer Weekly my old podcast, uh, about using our forearm to protect ourselves. And then the other one is going to be a different game that we use to introduce passing and receiving to kids. So let's get into it. Uh, the first one that I've spoken about in the past is shark attack. So I want to talk about two different games. One was a listener question that asked about uh, how to protect yourself using your forearm. And then the other one is going to be a passing and receiving game that we use with our youngest players. So I'll talk about the forearm one first and how we teach our players to protect themselves. And we obviously know that as shielding, but it's one thing to know that. It's another thing to teach that. So the game that we use to teach that is called Shark Attack. And here's how you play Shark Attack. We usually do this with our youngest kids as well. By the time our kids get into our academy uh, teams, they should know how to shield the ball. That's an expectation. So Shark Attack is played like this. All the kids are in an area and they all have a ball. Okay, And I'm going to now coach it as I would with the players. So I'll take a ball. I'll go into the rectangle, the square, whatever the area that you're using is. And I'll say this. From now on, everyone here is a shark, and your job is to be the last shark standing. The way you do that is you kick someone's ball out, and then I will demonstrate by kicking someone's ball out lightly, or I will probably have another kid, another player, kick my ball out. Once my ball goes out of bounds, I'll say, okay, now my ball is out. In order to come back in, I have to do whatever moves that you're working on that day. So if we're working on stepovers, they'll have to do five stepovers and then they come back into the game. And that's shark attack. So the explanation shouldn't take longer than 30 seconds. I firmly believe that in anything that you do, if it takes more than 30 seconds, you need to get better at explaining it.
Simple as that. So I'll let them play for a couple of rounds and then we'll introduce shielding. So after a couple of rounds, I will go in and I will say this. I will point to my ball and I will say, this is my best friend. Okay. And then I'll have everyone else point to their ball and I'll say, can you on the count of three, shout your best friend's name? And they will point to the ball and they will say, and I will say one, two, three, and they will say Eric, Bobby, whatever. Okay. And then from there, okay, I will get one of the sharks to come in and I will make sure that the ball is player side to the player that's coming to help me. So that ball is very close to Johnny as he comes in. Okay. And then I will say, Johnny, who is the shark, can the shark get my best friend? And everyone will say yes. And I will have Johnny kick my ball. And that's great. Then I'll get the ball back or I'll take a ball from someone else. And then I will say this. Okay. I want to protect Johnny. I want to protect, sorry, not Johnny. I want to protect my best friend. Okay. And in order to do that, I'm going to get in between my best friend and the shark. Okay. And then I will say, but now who's in trouble from the shark? And everyone will say, you are. Right. And then I will say, that's right. So now I have to protect myself from the shark. So here's how I do that. The first thing that I do, and now you, since you are protecting your best friend, you're in between the ball and the player. Okay. And that's very important when you're dribbling uh, and when you're shielding, you have to be in between the player and the ball. Okay. So uh, we'll say that. And then now I will say, in order to protect myself, there are two things I have to do. The first thing that I have to do is I have to put a big rock on my head. The reason I put a big rock on my head is because it's heavy. And then I'll physically put my fist on my head and I will push my head down so that I get low. So that's the very first thing. And then two, I'm going to talk about getting my shield up. So I need to protect myself from the shark. And the best way to protect yourself from anything is with a shield. So I'm going to get my shield up. And that's when you use your forearm and you get that 90 degrees. And in that moment, there's a, there's a big coaching point that I'll usually wait another round to make. And that coaching point is that that shielding arm, okay, we want it to be a wing, right? We don't want it to be a broken wing. So what does a broken wing mean? A wing is one that is 90 degrees, right? So if you think about your shielding arm goes up, it's 90 degrees from your body, okay? Anything lower than that is a broken wing, right? And we can have them flap their arms and flap their shields like a bird so that uh, they can understand that when their bird shield is down, then their wing is broken. And that's really how we teach shielding from our players. And then we, we will, as the games go on, we will go into the actual shark attack game with a ball and we will go to each player and we will force them to use their shield against us. And that's really the basics of how we teach our players how to shield the ball. Now, I love this because again, it goes into my core principles, which is lots of repetition in a realistic environment. And in my belief, in my coaching heart of hearts, it doesn't matter what you want to work on. If you can have those two things, repetition and realistic, then it's a good session and the players will get better and they will get better faster through repetition and they will be able to use it in a game because it's realistic. So those are the two situations um, that are very important.
Now, I got to be super honest. When I've been looking for a passing and receiving game for our youngest kids, I have not found anything that I liked, like nothing at all. And I've looked everywhere. Um, and I just couldn't find something that had those two components, right? Which is repetition and because we've been working on passing and receiving with our older kids as well in that kind of small group environment of three players max to get maximum repetition, I wanted something like that. But the difference with the younger kids is that it has to be a game. So it has to be fun. It has to be engaging. And there has to be some sort of story to it. So all those components, plus the fact that now my understanding of passing and receiving of what is most important is different than it used to be. For me, the most important part now is being able to receive the ball while on the move. So how can we create a situation where players, even at the five and six-year-old level, are doing that, right? So that is where kind of the thought process was of how to create this game. Now, the way that we're working on the game now is receiving. Receiving is how we're starting. I want players to have a great first touch. That to me is the most important thing. People say passing and receiving. I want to say receiving and passing. Receiving to me is way more important, right? Because if you cannot get the ball, then you can't pass the ball or you can't do 1v1 moves or you can't do anything because you're not touching the ball. So receiving for me is the most important game, more, most important part of this game. So that's really what we've started to focus on. We haven't really focused on passing yet, but in this game, I'm going to talk about how we can do that as well. Now, the receiving part of it, again, has to be done while you're moving. So I want you to keep that in mind as I talk about this game. So... This game is inspired by one of my favorite, well, my favorite book series called He Who Fights Monsters. And if you listen to that, oh, we should connect. Anyway, <laughs> um, the, the book itself is about a man who finds himself in a brand new world and has this kind of video game-like uh screen when he wakes up that's kind of the best way i can put that and uh he ends up becoming something called an adventurer who goes out and fights monsters so that's really all you need to know um about this book um it's incredible but anyway so this is really what this kind of inspired uh me to right and let's talk about again getting players into small groups so we're working in pairs here Okay, we're still working in an adventure type of environment. So what is an adventure type environment? That's when kids can go and explore, right? And at the youngest ages, that's what you want. You want everything that you do to be exploratory. So the coach will 
and I love doing this. Uh, they'll take cones and they'll just throw them up in the air and the cones will land everywhere and they'll scatter because that's what cones do when you throw them up in the air. And we'll have them uh, different colored cones down as well. And they're spread out over this vast land of adventure. Okay. And we have two people per group and one person is going to be the adventurer, right? And the adventurer, their, their job is to go out and find treasure, okay? Um, that's really what the adventurer does. Now, if, you're, if you do read uh, He Who Fights Monster, um, then you'll know that this is kind of Amir's role in, in, the, in the book series. He's a treasure hunter, right? So um, the adventurer is going to go out and be a treasure hunter. And then we're going to have someone who is going to tell the treasure hunter where to go. And the only person, if you listen to He Who Fights Monsters, that can tell Amir what to do is a diamond ranker. So you're going to have a diamond ranker, and then you're going to have the adventurer, okay? And the concept of the game is pretty simple, okay? The diamond, uh, the, the, the diamond player uh, will tell the adventurer, can you go get that treasure? The adventurer will go, we'll get the treasure and bring it back, and then they switch, right? So that's, that's the game concept of this. Now, within that game, there is hundreds of different ways that you can work on passing and receiving and change it so that the level of difficulty meets that of the players. So in the most basic, basic concept of this game with five-year-olds, four-year-olds, um, six-year-olds, anyone who is a complete beginner... With that, you've got the diamond ranker sitting down, rolling the ball to the player, okay? And when I think about this rolling technique, it's, you know, your legs are wide open, um, kind of like you're, uh, you're stretching, um, and they're rolling it with both hands on to the player's foot. And you can have them do uh, four of those, right? So only after four rolls can they go out and get a treasure, right with the adventure and that is where you can start to focus on receiving the ball okay so that's the very very basic part of that right and that's how we get repetition and then uh repetition of receiving now the next part of that would be passing right and passing can start to get involved with the diamond ranker again the diamond ranker is the one who is sitting uh, telling the adventurer where to go. So the next step would be the diamond ranker is now not sitting, but he now passes the ball. Okay. And that first stage would be them just interacting with about five yards from each other. And how would I do that? I would usually have those diamond rankers sitting outside of the box. And then they would, and then the adventurer would be in on the line of the box, right? So uh, think about kind of. Uh, a box with players and cones inside. The adventurers are right on the edge. And then five steps outside of that is the diamond ranker. And they're sitting and they're sitting on the ground or they're making the passes there. And yes, it is kind of passing lines. I know that. I know that. But it is in a game type of environment. So they're not just standing there the whole time passing. I want them talking to each other. Okay, the coaches should be giving adv advice during that. The diamond ranker should be talking and telling the player where to go. So there's a lot of things going on 
But I think for this part, for the youngest age group, I think it's okay. Now, there are ways to make this even tougher, right? So we can then talk about the diamond ranker now going to the edge of the line. And now instead, the adventurer will go to the treasure first. The diamond ranker now, because we're going to shift the focus to passing, it's the diamonds ranker's job to pass the ball to the adventurer who is waiting for them at the treasure. Now, this to me is the best that I've got so far, right? Now, we're at the beginning stages of this game. So what I imagine is as we continue to do this, this game is going to shift, right? Because I'll be honest, I'm not very happy with the line passing part of that. But I understand that, you know, there are points where that's the repetition and that's the repetition that you need. So we're going to be looking at ways to make it a little bit more realistic. But again, at five, six years old, that five just rolling the ball, I think it's okay. I think it's okay at five, six years old to do that, especially when we do the same thing when we teach our deceptive dribbling moves, right? It's very stationary, okay? We're breaking down the moves step by step, and the players are standing behind the coach following each step of that move. So I would kind of equate that to what we're doing with them. Now, when you think about rondos, right, it just doesn't make sense for the five and six-year-olds. There is just not, it's not the right environment. Now, in an academy setting, that's different. I wouldn't do this game for any of our academy players. I just wouldn't. There are much better ways to get more repetition, uh, better repetition. But for five, six-year-olds, the most important thing is fun. And if you can create that storyline behind it, and I guess even with a Rondo, you can create a storyline, right? But with this, with the adventurer, the diamond ranker, I think that's a really good way to both focus on receiving at the very beginning and then focus on passing, right? Now, with receiving and passing, uh, with passing, it's about three things for me. It's about part of the foot, part of the ball, and pace of the ball, right? So which part of the foot? We talk about penguin versus pigeon. So penguin is uh, when you walk kind of with your toes out. So you're opening up uh, and have your uh, inside of the foot open. That's the, the that so we, we talk about the penguin part of the foot and then we talk about the back part of the penguin as what we use for passing we talk about toe up right so part of the foot is that back part of the penguin part of the ball is the middle part of the foot and then the speed of the ball is very important so i always demonstrate this with my academy players is i will have one of my coaches who's about five ten yards away and then i'll blast the ball at them and i'll say that's my fault right because i didn't understand that the space between us, I shouldn't be blasting it at him. Okay. It should be a very firm pass. It should get to him, but we're not trying to mess him up. Right. So, uh, it's those three things for receiving. Uh, we really talk about, uh, getting low. That for me is huge as the ball's coming. Can we get low to receive it? Same part of the foot. Those are really the two things that we start with, uh, within our players. And then we talk about that footwork and that's not actually something we talk about. That's just something that we introduce, right? With the way that we run our different receiving sessions, right? So players are constantly moving as they receive the ball. And for me, that's the highest level of receiving. If you can receive the ball while you're moving, 
then I think you're good. I think you should be at a high level, especially if you continue to repeat that. You should have a really good first touch. Thanks for listening to another episode of Soccer Coaching Mastermind. This weekend, I will be at all six games. So another very long weekend. Last weekend was very long. I had a 9 a.m. to a 9 p.m. And this weekend, I have a 10 to 10. So uh, just 12-hour days, but no big deal. That's the life of the coach, I guess. Um, if you're enjoying the show, please leave us a review. Uh, that really helps us considering this is a brand new show. And if you want to support me uh, as well, you can check out. I post uh, our games every weekend. So I post, I think this week I'm going to post three games or maybe even four. Uh, so that's on Gladiator Soccer Academy on YouTube. And then uh, that's where you can connect with me, Gladiator Soccer Academy on YouTube or Instagram. You can also, if you want to join our Facebook group, you can join at uh, Soccer Coaching Mastermind. You just search that up on Facebook, completely free. And there's a lot of uh, coaching discussions and things like that on there as well. So uh, looking forward to seeing you on there. And until next week, enjoy the journey, enjoy the moments, but most importantly, enjoy the game.